This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The toll from COVID-19 continues to mount. And it's not just hurting our physical health. The economy is shutting down. Tens of thousands of people have lost their livelihoods. And the financial burden has added to the psychological toll of isolation and anxiety. We know you have questions and want to be heard. The key is to get good information and to come up with strategies to cope. That's what we're trying to do for you by bringing on medical experts on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Joining Libby Snymer on Wednesday, clinical psychologist Dr. Sam Clarich and Dr. Adam Kassam, a public health and rehabilitation medicine expert at Runnymede Healthcare Center and Sinai Health. We actually probably don't know the, the real number. I think that we know probably uh, that cases that we're testing far uh, under score or I guess are under under numbered um, compared to, let's say, the general uh, community spread that we are definitely seeing in our in across the province, both in Ottawa, Toronto, and other other sectors. And so, I, I there's no good answer of how what the actual real number is. And until we start scaling up the number of tests that we're doing on a broad level, I think that uh, we're still a little bit shooting in the dark. If a lot more people have this than we know, and my understanding of what the public health leaders are telling us is that they have no intention of of testing mild cases. I mean, isn't it possible that the mortality rate is actually a lot lower than we think right now? Yeah, I think that we don't know the denominator, right? So we don't know the number of people that have uh, COVID-19 and who would potentially test positive. We were able to rapidly test everyone uh, that we were suspicious of, including people with contact tracing. So for example, in South Korea, they underwent a massive um, rollout of of testing across the country where they were doing numbers like 15 to 20,000 tests per day. And so I think that given the scarcity of a lot of the tests uh, across the province, and we know that this is uh, part of the reason why there has been um, a a judicious use, I suppose, of testing is that frankly, we just don't have enough tests. We don't have enough kits. We don't have enough swabs. I think today or yesterday it was announced that, uh, other types of swabs could now be used, um, which would typically not be used for nasopharyngeal swabs, but are now needing to be used because there isn't enough supply of the NP swabs that would normally take place. And so what we're finding is that we just don't have enough tests right now. And we don't have enough labs to process them. Yeah, there are a lot of choke points, I think, in the whole in the whole infrastructure, right? So whether it's supplies like swabs, whether it's testing capacity, whether it's labs to do the tests, And then, of course, downstream is, and we're going to, I think, start seeing this. And I think, for example, I was just reading today that uh, uh, there was a hospital in uh, in Montreal, the Jewish General Hospital, is now 
full in terms of their ICU beds with COVID-19 patients. And so not only do we have a lot of choke points from te- from a testing perspective, but we're going to start seeing an escalation of numbers of cases who need to be hospitalized. And until we start ramping up our capacity to treat them, I think we're going to continue to have challenges. Dr. Sam Clarich, this is taking a toll on people's mental health. Absolutely. It certainly is, for sure. I'm seeing a lot of anxiety. I'm seeing a lot of fear. And unfortunately, when people are afraid and are overly anxious, they tend to hoard they're agitated, they make poor decisions, um, it hurts their immune system, uh, they can't sleep, they're irritable. I'm hoping over time, and what I try to do with people over time is try and convert fear to concern. If we're too fearful and we're too anxious, it's going to hurt us and it's going to hurt those people around us. On the other hand, if we're concerned and we're vigilant and we listen to the media, follow the protocol, do things that make sense, hopefully that'll guide us along and that'll keep us protected, although there's no guarantees. But when people are overly anxious and they're overly agitated, they do things that work against them, and that's the unfortunate part about it. We're going to, we're going to start seeing not only COVID-19 patients who are struggling um, because of the disease, but also people who have underlying conditions. You know, if their surgeries are delayed or if their treatment is delayed, that's going to cause a significant amount of morbidity uh, in our patient populations. And I think that that's uh, one of the, the, the indirect downstream effects of, of, of what we're seeing right now in the community. And I think that um, we have to try and figure out a way to, to really broach that. And I think part of the, part of the solution um, will be telehealth and, and virtual care. And we're trying to ramp up a lot of that, not only within the Ontario Medical Association, but, but elsewhere. And I think that's part, partly going to be part of the key. Okay. And Dr. Claridge, what would you like to leave us with? Focus on what you're supposed to do to look after yourself. Be very mindful of risks. Do all the right things that you've always done. I mean, the proper sleep, proper diet, um, physical distancing, social isolation. We've got to do the things that, that the experts are telling us to do. And we also got to be concerned, not overly fearful or anxious, because in a state of fear and anxiety, our decision-making processes aren't as, um, aren't as good. And if, and if we can continue to do that and everybody cooperates, hopefully we'll beat this thing sooner than later. Clinical psychologist Dr. Sam Clarich and Dr. Adam Kassam, a public health and rehabilitation medicine expert at Runnymede Healthcare Center and Sinai Health. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It's been just over two weeks since businesses started closing temporarily and laying off employees. And already, 44% of Canadians say that they or someone in their household has lost hours due to the economic downturn. And the majority say their employers are not covering any of their now disappeared wages. Nearly a million people have filed new EI claims. 60% of small companies have had a substantial drop in sales. One in three say they would not last a month with a drop of 50% or more. These are from a poll by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business of 11,000 business owners. The sector hardest hit is tourism, hospitality, and recreation, which has been virtually shuttered. Tony Alenis is president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association and Julie Kaczynski is Director of Provincial Affairs Ontario for the CFIB. On Wednesday, they joined Libby to discuss the situation. 
Oh, this is devastating. Devastating isn't even the right word. There isn't a word in the English vocabulary right now. Uh, unparalleled, unprecedented proportions. That's uh, the devastation levels to our economy. And just so our viewers or your listeners know, Libby, this survey is still active, so the numbers are changing. We're continuing surveying our members to kind of get the pulse of what they're thinking and feeling. And I think you hit the nail on the head with this, with the stat that nearly one third might close within the month without any more relief. Businesses need more help. And we've been out there pushing for a provincial wage subsidy in addition to what the feds are doing. Uh, countries like Denmark, countries like Britain, countries like Ireland, that just came on board. They're offering as much as 80% of a wage subsidy because the idea, Libby, is keep the employee on the payroll. Whether or not you're open or closed, keep them on the payroll. So when we try to start the economy up after all this is done, the economic startup is that much quicker. Let's bring in Tony. Uh, the situation is dire in your industry. Restaurants uh, are shuttered except for takeout. Uh, occupancy in hotels, I gather, has gone down to less than 10%. I have one friend who's a hotel worker. She's been laid off, uh, as are thousands of others. Well, the hospitality industry is a gatekeeper for consumers. We thrive when visitation and travel takes place. And when that gate is shut, we go broke. And that's what's happening. It is catastrophic. We are in uncharted waters. Government is in uncharted waters. Industry is in uncharted waters. Society is in uncharted waters. Uh, The word that I use is catastrophic. The hospitality industry uh, specifically has been devastated. And, And we're looking at you know, close to 80, 90% of closures uh, across Ontario, across Canada. And of course, uh, th- that number uh, reflects the number of employees that are out uh, at the unemployment line. And I do echo that there needs to be more done under the EI, and, and that is to increase coverage share. Yes, many countries have done a, a, a much better job, much more effective job. But it's also about extending that 13-week laid-up period for business or the business will go uh, bankrupt uh, when, when that comes along. How many people are employed in your industry, Tony? We have, uh, between restu- food service and ho- hotels, we have around 500,000 people. Julie, um, what about your employers? Are they trying to keep at least some of their staff or do they have to just you know, lay them off? Well, here's the situation. You can imagine, Libby, as a small business, your profit margins are small to begin with, especially in the restaurant industry, just to name one. So put yourself in the shoes of this business owner. Rent is coming due April 1st. Uh, HST payments, employer health tax, workplace safety and insurance board payments in some cases. So you still have to pay the bills while you're paying employees. So they are making difficult decisions. Um, what we're seeing is where it's possible employers are keeping their employees on staff. 
where possible or giving them shortened hours. But there's only so much they can do when all those bills have to be paid. That's why, again, I stipulate the importance of a provincial wage subsidy. Because, again, if you can keep the employee on the payroll without punting them into the EI system, they stay on your payroll, open or closed, with the wage subsidy. It's that much quicker to get the economics or or our our economy up and running when the dust is settled on COVID-19. I can't stress that enough. Again, this is new to them. They're learning. Uh, But they're communicating, they're collaborating. The will is there. I think we just need the the action. We need to hear uh, the province today are announcing uh, relief plans, and we're anxious to hear it. At the federal level, they need to step up to the plate. This, This country has been economically very prosperous compared to other ones. This, is, this was the model in the world. Yet other countries are stepping up more to the plate for employees and for business, and we need to do it at the federal government now. Tony Alenis is president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association, and Julie Kaczynski is director of Provincial Affairs Ontario for the CFIB. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the new Canada Emergency Response Benefit this past Wednesday, $2,000 a month for four months to workers who've lost employment because of COVID-19. To be eligible, you have to have earned a minimum of $5,000 in the last year. This benefit will combine two that were announced last week. One was directed at people who do not qualify for EI, and the other was for those who do. The unprecedented challenge is the million EI claims that came in as businesses began shutting down because of COVID-19. This newly announced benefit will come through the CRA. Will this work better? The Prime Minister says people can apply through an online and telephone system, which they're aiming to have ready by April 6th. And then Canadians can expect to receive money within one or two days by by e-transfer and up to 10 days by Canada Post. Also this week, the provincial PCs at Queen's Park announced a $17 billion aid package to fight COVID-19, most of it dedicated to beefing up the health care system. There are also measures to help the most vulnerable Ontario residents in long-term care. On Thursday, Libby Snymer was joined by Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care and federal Conservative finance critic Pierre Poliev. The government had to do something, something revolutionary with respect to EI because the system was not designed to process a million claims in a week. Uh, normally, uh, they get about 25 or 26,000 claims a week. Uh, this time, they got a million, which is probably, I'm going to estimate, about 10 times bigger than the previous rec- all-time record. Uh, so it would not have been possible to process EI for all of those people. Furthermore, there are a lot of self-employed uh, people or gig economy workers who don't have EI. They don't pay into it and therefore can't draw out of it. Uh, they have lost 100% of their income through no fault of their own as a result of the corona crisis. And this benefit is designed to reach them as well. It's not the, the the terms of the program are, are not obviously sustainable for the long run. So the government will have to decide how long this benefit will be available. But for those who are immediately unemployed or who've lost income as a result of the corona crisis 
uh, it should provide them with some way to put food on the table in the interim. People who are in their 70s, they're already collecting their CPP, in some cases their OAS, and they have part-time jobs to supplement their income, which they no longer have because of this. Are they eligible for this as well? Well, according to the government's description, I don't. we don't have all the terms published, and there was no legislation with this, so I can't give you a firm final legal answer. But the government's description of the benefit has been the following. If you earn more than $5,000 in the 12 months preceding your application, you are eligible. So if there are some asterisks and exceptions to that rule, then they have not said so to my knowledge. So my, my um, answer, shooting from the hip here, is that you should be eligible, but the government may attach some other conditions that I'm not aware of. Also yesterday, the province announced a $17 billion aid package to fight COVID-19, most of it dedicated to beefing up our health care system. There are also measures to help the most vulnerable among us, and that is elderly residents in long-term care. And with that, let's bring in Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care. First of all, can you uh, go through exactly what measures are being put in to help uh, nursing homes? There really are two two groups of funding. One is uh, first the containment and the response, and the uh, second component is the emergency capacity. There's $243 million that is going to be invested in long-term care, really to look at uh, that capacity and the screening and infection control, staffing issues, and the supplies that they need. And uh, so the, the containment and the response, there's about $25 million there. Uh, that is to make sure that we have the prevention, like I mentioned, the active screening, the supplies that are needed, uh, and the operational costs associated with that, the, the additional staffing that's needed. And we have already flowed half of $50 million commitment to that, and that other half will be coming out shortly. Um, we want to make sure that our homes are supported, that our staff are supported so that our residents can be supported. We had a staffing shortage even before this happened. If there's already a staffing shortage, you know, even with extra money, how do you propose to get the extra staff? Yeah, so, and that's what we've been uh, urgently discussing with all our, um, all the uh, agencies that are representative agencies and the homes themselves, really looking at how we can make sure that we can redeploy staff that we can bring potentially retired nurses, retired PSWs. And some homes even have, you know, website buttons where uh, their retired PSWs from those homes can come back. And they're getting, they're getting uptake from that. Also, we look at other sectors that might be able to be trained quickly um, to be able to come into the uh, long-term care homes and support. We need this pipeline. We recognize that. And we're pulling out all the all the stops to make sure that that staffing... Are you upping their pay? That's something that, you know, we've looked at um, Loblaws, what Loblaws has done. Um, Everything will be considered. Everything's on the table. The Premier has said he will do everything possible to protect residents and staff in long-term care homes. And as the the Minister of Long-Term Care, I will do absolutely everything possible. Uh, Everyone is working around the clock to make sure that everything everything possible 
Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario's Minister of Long-Term Care and Federal Conservative Finance critic Pierre Poliev in conversation with Libby Snymer on Thursday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phone. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Terry in Mississauga says the stories of a lack of sanitary conditions on construction sites is unacceptable during a pandemic and otherwise. I was listening to uh, Premier Ford the other day on uh, on television, and he was saying that uh, only essential services should remain open, and that's the construction industry. And I have a relative working in the construction industry. From what I've been told, he's... Uh, Like, as you know, in the construction industry, all they have is the Johnny on the spots. That's it. There's no place where you can go and wash your hands like you should have uh, soap and water and and that afterwards. I mean, this this shouldn't be something that's just coming out now. This should have been going on all along. Barry in North York also called to talk about construction sites during the COVID-19 crisis. I'd like to know uh, why our premier considers construction sites as essential, especially since there are three cases now reported um, for uh, the people that are working on the Crosstown Eglinton construction site. But I'm just wondering why construction sites are are essential, and especially um, now where the premier hears that there's three on that site, three people with with it. Um, Maybe he might think twice about shutting down construction sites. Warren in Oshawa phoned to say measures being taken by the Prime Minister to curb the pandemic are too late. Trudeau's a joke. If he had started banning flights from China at least a minimum of four weeks ago and start self-isolating or checking people at the airport, we wouldn't have been in all this mess. At his press conference this morning, he was talking to the president of uh, Rwanda and Ethiopia. Why? You know, and then there's another uh, on the news that the federal government's going to spend $30 million to advertise this. Why do you need to advertise it? It's all over the news. You've already let the fox into the hen house. Now you're going to start screening people at the airport? Total joke. Bill in Brampton phoned to say it seems inappropriate that car insurance companies are failing to offer financial relief during the COVID-19 crunch. Brampton has been kind enough to waive property taxes for the next five months. Uh, if we need it that long. I called the CAA and they were able to reduce my membership for me because it's come and due. Mm-hmm. But this morning I called my car insurance company. Reason being, it's lovely that gas is down to 70-something cents a liter, but you can fill your car full of gas and you got nowhere to go. You're supposed to stay home. All now I would have to use my car for is to go to the pharmacy to get my meds and to go to the grocery store to get my food. And do you think the car insurance company would give me a break? This is what they said to me. Well, your next premiums due April the 1st, so you don't have to pay it on April the 1st. But what we'll do is we'll postpone it till May the 1st. So on May the 1st, you pay double. I said, well, what have you done for me? Nothing. Bob in Shelburne called to say he's livid that the Trudeau Liberals initially introduced special powers as part of the emergency bill passed in Parliament this week, a measure that was retracted the same day it was proposed after backlash from the opposition Conservatives. I think that it would be extremely scary 
if Trudeau was given all the all the powers to spend all the money he wanted, okay, in the next year and a half or whatever it is. The guy has been a complete disaster since he got there, okay? We're in debt over $76 billion, okay, since he came on the scene. He's never ran a business in his life. What qualifications have they got to be the Prime Minister of Canada? We have a disaster on our hands right now. We all realize that, okay? But to give somebody that has no business experience whatsoever complete control over the economy, I mean, it would be a disaster. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Lynn in Peterborough, whose daughter-in-law works at a long-term care home, which has already been struck by COVID-19. They don't have any help. They have no help. They have 65 residents, three people looking after them. They're all on trace. Three are already COVID-19 positive. Two residents died that weren't even confirmed COVID-19. I'm afraid all 70, all 65 probably have it and they can't get help. We have already notified the premier. Long-term care keeps phoning there. What do you need? They need help. They just need hands-on help. They've reached out to some of the private companies that provide PSWs. They can't get help. Even the staff, they're all out on quarantine. Eight of them are COVID-19. And like I say, my daughter-in-law works in activities, but she's doing frontline work because she feels badly. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of fight back the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin eacock and zeev hadi with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.